from the look of it, this promises to be a really stacked SmackDown. In fact, they're really hot-shotting the road to WrestleMania, if you ask me. The Rock's scheduled to appear and answer Cody Rhodes' challenge. Roman Reigns is supposed to be there as well. And Dakota Kai returns to action. On March 1st, 2024, WWE SmackDown is in the Desert Diamond Arena in Glendale, Arizona. It's sold out 15,000 plus. And these are my thoughts. Welcome to the SVS Wrestling Podcast and svsreviews.com slash wrestling. I'm Jason C. McLean. For me and many others, SmackDown effectively started earlier in the day when uh, The Rock released a 21-minute video on Instagram and X. This was a fourth-wall-breaking masterpiece, if you ask me. He addressed the what he had actually said to Cody Rhodes uh, backstage before Cody made his announcement. He brought up the whole situation, and he really blurred the lines, uh, including videos of podcasters attacking him and responding to them, and also playing board member Dwayne Johnson when he addressed Seth Rollins, even threatening to take away his title. I definitely recommend watching this. And if you're thinking that this was to replace some of his time on the show, you would be so sorely mistaken. We start with a five-minute Elimination Chamber recap, and then Roman Reigns' music hits. Roman, Paul Heyman, Solo Sokoa, and Jimmy Uso head to the ring. And we were 10 minutes into the show before Roman spoke a word. And of course, the first thing he did, in fact, the only thing he did for a while was ask Glendale and then Phoenix and then Glendale again to acknowledge him. Not liking the response, he said that they were leaving until Paul Heyman convinced him to stay because The Rock was coming out after these messages. I think this is a really strong uh, insight into uh, Roman's character's frame of mind. Yes, he was pissed at Glendale or the crowd for not acknowledging him, but that's never really stopped him before. I think he was really pissed that The Rock seems to be taking more of the spotlight from him, and that will definitely come into play later. But of course, after the commercial break, Rock music, The Rock comes out. The crowd, of course, pops because he's The Rock, but then they realize that, wait, he's a bad guy and he's about to insult us, so they start booing. He acknowledges the booing. And then he goes into a uh, somewhat risque diatribe about how Phoenix, uh, which is 10 miles from Glendale, is the both the uh, cocaine and methamphetamine capital of the U.S., a fact which I believe is true. This allowed him to refer to the Desert Diamond Arena as a giant crack den with popcorn. And he also talked about crackhead Karens wanting his 22 inches. Of course, he meant his muscles. There was a lot of this, and then he went on uh, to basically address Cody Rhodes' challenge and offer a counter-challenge, uh, whereby it would be a tag match on night one of WrestleMania with uh, Cody and Seth Rollins versus Roman and The Rock. And if Cody and Seth won, the next night the bloodline would, not, would be barred from ringside, or barred from WrestleMania, and not be able to interfere with uh, Cody and Roman's undisputed WWE Universal Championship match. But if Rock and Roman won the next night, it will be bloodline rules. 
I kind of hope it's bloodline rules because that means there could be a lot of interference and it means there could be interference on both sides too. Maybe it means The Rock can turn. Maybe Seth Rollins are turn. It'd be definitely very interesting. And if Cody wins under those circumstances with the help of the entire babyface locker room or at least certain key players, that will definitely mean his victory is even bigger than it would be if it was just in a normal one-on-one match against Roman Reigns. Of course, him beating Roman Reigns one-on-one with no interference would show that maybe he should have won last year. I kind of prefer the former, but both sound interesting. And just when you thought that it was over and The Rock starts saying, if you smell, Roman cuts him off. Long pause. He asks The Rock to acknowledge him. The Rock does. They hug. Rock makes another crack remark. And that's the end of the segment. Now, that was a really slimmed down version of that segment. We were 45 minutes into the show when it ended. Yes, they went long. A lot of that had to do with the crowd cutting them off. There were some funny bits in it, for example, when The Rock talked about Solo Sokoa singing the national anthem. And I'm wondering if it actually was the crowd slowing him down or if he was slowing down intentionally or if Roman just took too long. Definitely, these are characters that are allowed to breathe on the air. And it's a good thing the segment went the length that it did. It was an epic promo, which had a lot of meaning because now The Rock has acknowledged Roman, whether that's going to be true or not in the future, we don't know. But it was definitely a seminal moment in one of the hottest periods of wrestling, which Rock also acknowledged in the promo. But maybe they should have planned for that. Because after some backstage setup with Austin Theory and uh, Randy Orton, which was quite funny, especially how Grayson Waller seems to be turning on Austin Theory by making him fight all, all these matches... The first matchup was Tiffany Stratton versus Naomi. And Naomi, who has probably one of the coolest entrances going, had her entrance during the commercial break. This follows up Elimination Chamber where she had her entrance in the daylight. So it, it was a shame that they had that, that was what the entrance they had to cut. And also the match got a lot shorter too. It was base it basically started, went through one commercial break, and then finished. It didn't go the full two segments, which apparently it was planned for. Of course, it was a really well-fought match from both participants, despite its time. A lot of back and forth. Eventually, uh, Stratton uh, cheats, gets an eye rake, and then uh, hits the prettiest moonsault ever for the victory. But what really got me is Stratton's clearly still the heel, but like in Perth, the audience was definitely behind her in in Glendale. It was definitely tiffy time in Glendale, so to speak. I'm I'm wondering if they're maybe going to make her a babyface or because of crowd reaction, because it wasn't just isolated to one Australian audience. It seems that this crowd really does love their tiffy time. If they end up going with these two at WrestleMania, that could be good too. It looks like they might be going that way. Naomi is a former champion and Stratton is brand new, but I think she definitely deserves a spot uh, in, in prime time. And then it was time for some development in Probably the biggest SmackDown story minus The Rock. I'm talking about damage control. Dakota Kai returns to action as Bailey's tag team partner against the Kabuki Warriors, Asuka and Kairi Sane, with WWE Women's Champion Io Sky in their corner. Will Dakota be loyal to Bailey? I really didn't think so, and it didn't take long for her to turn. The first part of the match mainly saw Bailey fighting Asuka with Kyrie Sane doing some sneaky moves to yank Bailey off the ropes, prevent a 
hot tag to Dakota uh, by yanking Dakota down and doing other assorted things. When it was time for the proper hot tag, though, Dakota, of course, jumped off the apron. Bailey, realizing the fix was in, went after Dakota, and then the other members of Damage Control came in. The match was ruled a no contest, and it was a beatdown on Bailey, uh, especially when the Kabuki Warriors held her back so uh, Dakota could slap her. It was, of course, sad, but of course, you knew this was going to happen, and I'm glad they did it sooner rather than later. Subsequently, backstage, there was a segment with Damage Control, all happy, walking by Jade Cargill, who gave them a really nasty look. And apparently she's later gone on social media to say that what she saw wasn't right. But I'm thinking maybe we might get Jade Cargill and, let's say, Bianca Belair challenging the Kabuki Warriors for the tag team titles at WrestleMania. That's That would be perfect because, A, it would get the tag women's tag team titles properly defended at WrestleMania. It would give Jade Cargill a match. It would put Bianca Belair into another championship match. It would just be good all around. Book it, Hunter. And then Braun Breaker hit a really nice spear on Zion Quinn and pinned him. I'm not sure if this squash match was supposed to be so short, but it definitely was supposed to be a squash match. They're turning Braun into a monster, which is good. Hopefully he'll fight a uh, competitive opponent soon. We get another video of Legado del Fantasma talking in the bar and bringing up Rey Mysterio, which would come into this a little bit later. Of course, we didn't know at the time. And then it was the street fight between Santos Escobar and Carlito. It was a fun match, typical street fight stuff, lots of kendo sticks. I like how Corey Graves even asked why there's always kendo sticks under the ring. Like he doesn't know that that's where they're grown and where they live. The crowd, of course, wanted tables and Carlito was happy to deliver by pulling one out. But of course, Santos stopped him. There was a funny spot where uh, Santos even took Carlito's apple. But of course, it went back and forth until uh, Angel and Humberto had the other two members of the LWO, Cruz del Toro and Walking Wild down. And uh, Carlito was down as well, too. And who comes in for the save? Rey Mysterio. I loved how he came in on crutches making everyone think he was still injured. And then when the Legato members approached him, he started using those crutches as weapons. And there was a great ending sequence to the match. The backstabber from Carlito got Escobar in the 619 position. Then uh, Del Toro and Wild took out uh, Humberto and Angel. And Ray was able to deliver the 619, proving he's back in match form, which is great because WrestleMania is just around the corner. Uh, and then they put... Uh, Escobar through the table for the win. It was a really great end of the match. And on any other SmackDown without The Rock, this definitely would be the takeaway story, the return of Rey Mysterio. I'm not sure if we're going for Mysterio versus Escobar at Mania or a multi-man match, but I'm definitely very excited to see them included on the card. Then we got Nick Aldis telling New Catch Republic, I have to accept that name, live with it, Jason. Uh, telling them that he's not sure if he can get them on WrestleMania, but him and Adam Pearce do have something in mind for the tag team titles. I wonder if they're going to split the tag titles. I kind of hope they don't. I think they should just merge them into maybe one or two belts rather than four belts, or at least make nicer belts. But if they split them, as long as they do it in the right way, it could make sense. And it would give more teams on Raw and on SmackDown a chance to earn titles. 
though, of course, it might diminish the importance of said title. The fun part of that was that all this gets distracted by L.A. Knight still looking for AJ Styles. And I love Knight's comment talking about how Styles flew across the world just to interfere in the match, which honestly seems ridiculous when they're at an international PLE, but you just accept it. And I'm, I'm glad that Knight acknowledged. I really liked that we got to see Logan Paul's cell phone video showing how he stayed in the cage, that he wasn't really forgotten about. He kept telling the referee that he couldn't move until he ends up moving and taking out Randy Orton and even laughs at the referee saying he tricked him. It at least explains why he was down for that entire time still in the cage. And speaking of Logan Paul, we all know that uh, Randy Orton and Paul are probably going to be fighting at WrestleMania, but I think Kevin Owens might be in the mix too. I think his inclusion as the special commentator for the Randy Orton Austin Theory match wasn't by accident. More on that later. The match that pitted Orton against Theory with Grayson Waller in his corner was a fun one. And it's interesting to note that Randy Orton's WWE 2K24 score is 91 and Austin Theory's is 72. That seems like a bit of a mismatch. And this match did seem like a bit of a mismatch too. Theory did start off in control of the match, but Randy Orton quickly took it back over. KO makes an interesting comment on commentary about how the fact that Austin Theory is oiled up helps him and help and makes it makes things very slippery. There's a spot on the announce table uh, to everyone's delight as Orton puts uh, well doesn't put Theory through it but slams him onto it. Eventually, Orton gets the hanging DDT and is about to go for the RKO, but Theory stops him and even gets a two count out of him. But eventually, uh, as Theory is powering up, Orton hits. An RKO out of nowhere, midair almost, and wins. After the bell, the heels try to take the numbers advantage, but Owens quickly evens things up. He hits a stunner on Theory. Waller misses a stunner, but then gets hit with an RKO himself. And Owens and Orton fist bump as the show goes off the air. I think that ending, also some of the things Owens said on commentary during the match, like the fact that he has no problem with Randy Orton having eliminated him. He did what he had to do and saying he still likes Randy Orton leads me to believe that Logan Paul might be facing Randy Orton and KO, or possibly there's some tag match or a multi-man match for the United States championship. I don't think KO is out of the Logan Paul picture just yet. And I'm definitely sure that Randy Orton's into it. It was a good main event to the show and it does set up some greater possibilities for WrestleMania. Before concluding, I'd like to point out that uh, viewers in the U.S. during the Rock and Roman segment had the screen blacked out several times. Now, that didn't happen to me in Canada watching on Sportsnet, which is the WWE Network feed, meaning that the censorship actually came at the hands of Fox. And it was because somebody in the crowd had a Die Rocky Die sign. I saw people online asking why didn't WWE simply take the sign from him? Probably because they in the building didn't realize that Fox was going to censor it. They probably thought it was a sort of a tribute back to what originally made The Rock the star. It's interesting, though, that Fox censored something that WWE didn't even think to take away the sign for. So on a night that saw Dakota Kai's heartbreaking but expected turn, the hint that Jaden Cargill might get involved in the damage control mix. The triumphant return of Rey Mysterio. And Tiffany Stratton surprisingly getting crowd support once again. 
the big story, the one that everyone's talking about, is that The Rock acknowledged Roman Reigns. And of course, that if Rhodes and uh, Rollins agree, we're getting a tag match with Cody and Seth versus Roman and Rock for night one of WrestleMania. This truly is a monumental SmackDown. I wonder what's going to happen on Raw and next week. Because as I said earlier, they're clearly hot-shotting the shows on the road to WrestleMania. Follow SVS Wrestling on X at Silo Wrestling. On Facebook and Instagram at SVS Reviews. Follow me at Jason C. McLean on X and Instagram and read Raw, SmackDown, and WWE PLE reviews at svsreviews.com slash wrestling. Catch you next time.